Well, Mark chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. I'm probably in real serious trouble. And so Mark chapter 2. It's so good to be here. Um, I don't intend to keep you long. Uh, in closing, uh, for sake of time, uh, I'm conscious of the time. I'm going to go ahead and get all the lies that preachers say. I'm going to get them out right now and be done with it. I don't know if you remember, I was here about a year ago, I think. Uh, it's been about a year, and I think I told you then, the more you amen, the faster I preach. And so you're in trouble because you're, you're not amening. And so if, if you're not amening, I'm thinking you're not getting it, and so I'll start repeating myself. And when I start repeating myself, it's going to take us twice as long to preach this message. So uh, the more you amen, the faster I preach. Amen. 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 And so some, some are getting it. Some are getting it. And that one was from Texas. And you know it takes them longer to get things than it does anybody else. And so, amen. Boy, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for good friends, and I'm thankful for old friends, and I'm also thankful for John Overturf and John Carneal. Amen. Mark chapter 2, I want to start reading in verse 1. Very familiar story, and, that, and that's a good... John Carneal said today at lunch, he said, this message you're preaching, have I heard it before? If I have then I'm not coming. Well, number one, he hasn't heard anything. And then I told him, I said, you may have heard it before. Do you read your Bible? Well, yeah, I read my Bible. I said, well, it's in the Bible. So we'll we'll see. Either way, we know he needs it. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, And he preached the word unto them. Now, let me get the story straight here. This is Jesus talking about Jesus preaching here. And the house is full. And he's preaching the word unto them. I like that. That's what works. Brother JR, what do you have at Calvary? What do you all have at Calvary Baptist Ministries for the men there? What is it that makes the difference in their life? Is it a pill? Is it something they drink? What, What is it? It's this right here. It's the Word of God. This is what changes lives right here. This is what made a difference in my life. This is what makes a difference in your life. It works. The Word of God. He preached the Word unto them. You know, we're living in a day today where they say you can't preach this book right here. and you can't. If you preach this book, you're not going to have a crowd. Jesus did. He was preaching the Word. The Bible says the house was full. I don't think it's preaching this Word that's the problem. I think it's the lack of preaching this Word is the problem. I think it's the lack of, well, we need the Word of God. He preached the Word unto them. That's just a little commercial. We'll move on. Verse 3. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Father, we sure love you tonight, Lord. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for how it instructs us and helps us in our life. Lord, use your words tonight. Use the words in your Word tonight, Lord, to speak to our hearts, to help us to get the challenge tonight, Lord, that, Lord, there's people out there that need you. There's people out there that are looking for answers. We have the answer. We have the answer. We have the answer in our lap tonight. Help us, Lord, to be what you want us to be and do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Four men, four men helped get this man to Jesus. Four men. I thought about that and I thought, you know, 
Jesus is preaching and the house is full. I heard a preacher say the other day, he said this. He was talking about the scripture and he said, I believe those four men were at the house listening to the preaching. And I believe they got under conviction and went and got this man and then brought him to the house. And I thought, you know, that's good. It's not in the Bible, but that's good. It's good preaching, but it's not in God, but it could happen that way. I don't know how it happened. And you know, here's the other thing. These four men, their names aren't even mentioned. Boy, that would, that would get a lot of us right there because we're willing to do something for the Lord, but we'd like to get some credit for it. Yeah, we want, want people to know that we did something for the Lord. These four men, their name's not even mentioned. But I'm going to tell you one day, we're going to know who they are when we get to heaven. We're going to know who they are. They took it upon themselves to grab a corner of this man's bed and get him to Jesus. Well, the story says when they get to the house, it's full. And, you know, I thought about that. I thought, you know, that's where most of us would have been done right there. We tried. (laughs) We did what we could. But there's a bump in the road. Because of the circumstances. You know what? That man needed to get to Jesus. They knew what Jesus could do in his life. They knew the miracle that Jesus could perform in this man's life. They knew what it was. They did what they had to do. They did everything they could do to get this man to Jesus. They get him to Jesus. They can't get in the door. Can can you just picture it? I mean, I can see them just setting the bed down thinking, well, we can't get him in. Maybe one of them said, look, we're going to be praying for you. And I'm all for prayer. Prayer works. He didn't need prayer. He needed to get to Jesus. He needed somebody to help him get to Jesus. How about this one? God bless you. Boy, we use that all too often. And I think it's just a cop-out to keep them having to do any, put out any effort. We're going to be praying for you. God bless you. We're going to take you on for support. He didn't need any of that. He needed to get to Jesus. I don't know how it happened. I don't know who had the idea. Somebody in the group. And there's probably somebody here like this, or you know somebody like this. One of them had to say this. Hey, y'all, I got an idea. And maybe the other three thought, oh, boy. Now, you just thought of somebody. You just thought of some. Somebody had the idea, why don't we do this? Why don't we take this man up on the roof? Why don't we tear a hole in the roof and lower this man down to Jesus? I thought about this, Brother Bill. I thought, I wonder what the guy on the bed thought. You're going to do what? Oh, we're going to take you up on the roof. We're going to cut a hole in the roof. We're going to lower you down to Jesus. That had to concern him a little bit. But you know what I see? I see four men that have decided, you know, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to get this man to Jesus. You do understand. You do understand what we heard earlier. You do understand there's people outside the walls of this church that need Jesus. There's people in this town that need Jesus. There's people in your state that need Jesus. And there's people in Eufaula, Oklahoma that need Jesus. And and in our state that need Jesus. We, We do understand that. We know what they need. So they're turning to drugs. They're turning to alcohol. They're turned into a life of crime because they have no peace in their life. They have no joy in their life. They're turned into all these things to try to get some satisfaction. And they're not getting satisfaction. They're, they're, they're being pacified. That's all it is. They're being pacified. We know what they need because we have it. What are we doing about it? What are we, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something. Boy, I think about these four men. I'm going to tell you, somebody needs to do something. 
See, I told you I'm going to keep repeating it until y'all start amening. It will, you know what amen means? I agree. You know, I think the worst thing that can happen when the preacher's up preaching, and he, I mean, he's preaching hard, and I know your preacher preaches hard. When he's preaching hard about sin, and you're not amening, you ought to be amening. Because if you don't amen, you're telling everybody you're doing it. And the worst thing you can do is amen through the message, and when he hits your sin, stop. You, I mean, when the preacher's up preaching against sin, and you're amening, I mean, one after another, you're just coming in. You know what everybody's thinking? Man, they are perfect. There's nothing going on in their life. Everything works out. But boy, when you stop, you're telling on yourself. Amen just means I agree. Amen. There's people out there, they need to get to Jesus. We know what they need. We have what they need. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Look, look at verse 6. Jesus said in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, boy, I heard a good message last night, where Ken Graham preached last night on faith. Got to have faith to reach people. Got to have faith to win souls. Got to have faith to give to missions. Yep, it takes faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Look at verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They haven't died off. Oh, no, Brother J.R., there's not scribes today. I don't know if they're called scribes, but these people are still around. What are they doing? They're sitting there. They're sitting there. Here's a man needs to get to Jesus. Here's four guys trying to get a guy up on the roof. Can you imagine in, in reaching people, in the job that the Lord has for us and in His service, the more, the better? The more people involved, the better? If there had been eight men, would that have made that job easier? Oh, absolutely. Had there been 12, would it have made that job easier? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I heard someone say this. I, heard, I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard him say, 90% of the work in a church is done by 10% of the people. I don't know if that's true or not, but you do. You know if it's true or not. You know what you're doing. Come on, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, I heard, boy, that was, that was great a while ago when you were up here and had that track. Boy, I, that was convicting. I don't know if it convicted you or not. It convicted me, and I'm not even a member here. Yeah, it convicted me. You know, you know what I, when you said that, I remember just a few months ago in our town, I pulled up, we have a new Casey's store in Shakota. I mean, that's, for, for a Casey's to come into our area, that is amazing. They, they fix pizza there. That's just, that's just, God just did that. I pull up to Casey's and I'm getting gas in my truck. And so I swipe my card, stick the pump on, and turn the pump on, stick the hose in, and it's pumping gas. A little lady pulls up next to me in a silver car, silver hair, gets out, and she's trying to get the pump on, and she's having a time. I stepped around and said, ma'am, do you need some help? She said, I can't get this to take my card. I can't get this to work. And so I stepped around there, and I helped her, got her card swiped, got the pump turned on. She thanked me. I went around, finished my fuel, put the pump up, got in my truck, and I drove off. And it's like the Lord said, you just blew it. You just missed a great opportunity. I turned around. I went back. She's gone. Never seen her again. I can still see the car, and I can still see that lady. I can still see her, but not another opportunity to witness to her, not another opportunity to hand her a track. See, Brother Jared, that kind of stuff doesn't work. It doesn't. Well, I've seen people throw tracks away. I have too. Several years ago, 
My dad was still alive, so it was many years ago. One of the single staff men at the ranch was working in, it used to be Ken's Pizza in town. Uh, now, it, I don't know what it is now. I don't think it's anything now. It's probably a marijuana store. That's, yeah. We have seven of those in Eufaula, and if you know how big Eufaula is, that's unreal. He was working in the pizza place in the evenings. He did a lot of cleanup. He would clean the dining room, clean the bathrooms. He'd just go in in the evening. It's kind of a part-time job, but he would take tracks with him. And he'd leave tracks like in the bathrooms and, you know, on a table or two. He'd just leave tracks around after he got done cleaning. My dad gets a phone call. And this lady says, I was coming through your town a couple of months ago. And she said, I walked into the pizza place. And she said, I had supper, and before I left, I work in Tulsa, I live in Tulsa, and she said, I was going back to Tulsa. Before I left, I ran into the restroom, and she said, when I went to wash my hands, laying on the sink was a track. I just picked it up, and I stuck it in my purse. She said, I went on home, and she said, that was a couple of months ago, and she said, I came home from work the other night, and I'd had a horrible day. My whole day had gone bad. I was having family problems. I was having problems at work. It was just a horrible day. She said, I walked in my kitchen, walked in the door, walked in my kitchen, and I set my purse down on the counter, and I set it on the edge of the counter, and it fell off on the floor, and she said it dumped everything out on the floor. I thought, man, if that happened to my wife, it'd take a backhoe to clean it all up. (laughs) Sorry. She said, I got down on the floor, and she did what most women do when there's a crisis. She said, she started crying. She said, I was sitting on the floor sobbing and just throwing things back in my purse. And she said, I came across that track. And she said, sir, I just want you to know that I read that track and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me. You know, Brother John, if she's the only one that ever calls, it's worth however many thousands of tracks are out there. I mean, come on, somebody needs to do something. If, if God didn't have a job for us to do, he would save us and take us to heaven. But he left us here because he has a job for us. Somewhere out in that four-year area out there, there's a track rack. There's some place out there where you can get tracks. I promise you there is. And they're not doing anybody any good out there. You don't need them. Well, maybe a couple of you could use one. You don't need them. We need to get them out there. Say, well, there's more to it than just passing out tracks for the jar. I understand that, but we need to do something. Somebody needs to do something. I like, I like these men's, I like their drive. I mean, it doesn't matter. We're going to figure out a way to get this man to Jesus. I, I, I think this also kind of describes the ministry at Calvary. Because usually it starts like this. There'll be a phone call. Sometimes it's from a pastor, from a pastor. Sometimes it's from a wife. There's men there right now that have wives and kids at home that God's working in their life while they're at the ranch and God's working in their family's life and one day we'll see the home put back together. That's what our prayer is. That's what we want to see. But somebody calls and says, we have a man in our church or we know this family and the husband's having trouble. Y'all got a place. Somebody makes the phone call. Somebody helps get this man to what, what, what do you have there at Calvary? Just Jesus. Jesus, the words of God, the words of God, Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it. It's not us that does the work. If it was us that was doing the change in men's lives, it wouldn't last. It's that right there, and it lasts. And it lasts. Somebody invests in these men's lives, and they come to the ministry there, and God works in their life. Is it 100% successful? No, no, it's not. 
but everyone that God works in their life. Let me just say this. Every one of them gets something. They leave with something. And if they leave there and they get out and they, they don't live for God, they remember what went on while they were there at Calvary. The very first Sunday we were out, uh, we went to uh, Grand Island, Nebraska for the Jeremy Reagan. That was my first Sunday out. Went up there to his church. We're standing there in the foyer talking to him. Church is fixing to start. And a guy walks up to me. He goes, do you remember me? I said, well, you look familiar. He said, well, I was at the ranch a few years ago in the city of refuge. I said, that? Yeah, you look familiar. He said, if you'll remember, he said, my wife was going to have a baby two weeks before my six months was up. And you allowed, Brother Fred was going up that way, you allowed Brother Fred to drive me up there so I could be up there for my baby being born. And I came back with Brother Fred and finished my six months, which is so good in those men's lives, when they finish something. And he said, I came back, and he said, God changed my life while I was there. His wife walked up with five kids, and God's been good to him, I'll tell you. Got five kids, now that was their first, and now he's got five. She walked up, she said, he's a different person. The pastor, Brother Jeremy, walked over and he said, y'all know each other? And I said, well, he, used to, he, he came to the ranch in City Refuge. He goes, you did? I didn't know that. He said, yeah, I did. And Brother Jeremy goes, he's my right-hand man. He's a blessing. I thought, what a blessing. Thank you, Lord, for that. I got done talking to them, and they walked off, and another guy walked up to me. He said, do you remember me? My name's Spencer. I said, well, my son-in-law's named Spencer. And I said, so I do remember you because you don't see a lot of guys named Spencer. And he said, I stayed there five weeks, but he said, I left the ranch wasn't ready, but I couldn't do it, couldn't stay, but I was there five weeks. And his wife was standing next to him. She said, but I'm telling you, it changed his life, made a difference in his life. It wasn't the ministry. It wasn't us. It was what God can do in a life. It's what he can do in a life. I told him, I said, so you go to church here? He said, no, sir, actually, we just moved into the area and we just visited this morning. Had no idea you were going to be there. What a God that would allow me to run across two men that had been through the ministry there on the first Sunday out representing the ministry. I really needed that that day. But it showed me what God can do in a life if somebody will just do something for somebody else. These four men did what they had to do. They get him to Jesus. But those scribes are there, sitting there. You know, there's, there's a lot of those still. And, and I don't know about here, but in Oklahoma, there's a lot of them sitting in church. They're just sitting there. They're not helping. Well, I just can't do much for God anymore. I got older. If you can breathe on a mirror and fog it up, you can still do something for God. You can still do something for Him. There's something you can do. There's something to be done. I, I'm, I'm just telling you, a lot of times we use a lot of excuses as to why we can't do something for the Lord. Got to meet a man right over here. I don't remember your name, sir, but 45 years pastor, and he said, What a blessing. What a blessing. And sitting in church right there, as I'm preaching, I see his head nodding. You know what that does for a preacher like me? Makes me go, Phew. I hadn't said anything bad yet because he hadn't gone like this or he hadn't got up and walked out. Thank God for men of God. I'm thankful for those that are involved in what's going on in the church. The scribes were sitting there doing nothing, but they were reasoning in their hearts. That's usually the way they are. They're thinking things. That's what they were doing. They were sitting there thinking, I don't think Jesus did this right. I don't think Jesus handled this situation. They're thinking these things. And can I remind you tonight that he, he knows our thoughts? He, he knows what we're thinking. Nothing's hid from him. Can you, I, I would have loved to have been there because if you read on down, you'll find that it says unto them verse, in verse 8, 
And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? They're sitting there thinking these things, whether Jesus did it right or not. They're not helping to get anything done. They're just sitting there and complaining to themselves. And Jesus said, why are you acting like this? Had to come as a shock to them that he knew what they were thinking. Kind of like, it used to come as a shock to me when my mom would say, why did you do such and such? And I'd say, how did you know? You know what she'd say? A little bird told me. So my mom would say, a little bird, like birds talk to you. A little bird told you. Yeah, a little bird told me. So I was like 12 years old. I got a BB gun. I I started killing little birds. I killed probably a thousand. Never did get that one. I mean, never did get that one. I'm in my 50s. My mom's saying, why'd you do such and such? How'd you hear about that? A little bird told me. Moms are like Jesus in that way. It seems like they know what's going on. Jesus said, why do you reason these things in your heart? Whether it's easier to do it this way or this way, but that you may know that the Son of, Son of Man hath power on earth. This is what he said. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went, before, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. What a miracle. What a miracle in this man's life. Why? Because four men decided somebody needs to do something. We need to get this guy to Jesus. Jesus can make a difference in his life. We know, listen to me, we know what he can do. We've seen what he can do in others, and we know what he's done in our life. We know what he can do. I heard Brother Jack Thompson. We were sitting around talking to him one time, and somebody asked him, he said, why don't we see people saved like you used to see in revivals? And he said, because he was telling about three and four week, five week revivals, uh, it's, it's unheard of. I mean, we can get it done in four days now. You know, we're, we're a lot better preachers than they were back then. That was a huge eye roll right there in case you didn't know. I learned that from my daughters and my wife. He said, they asked him, he said, why don't we see people saved? And this is what he said. He started to give an and I thought, boy, he's going to use scripture and say something like, you know, there'll be a great falling away and, you know, it's just not the same now. And he says, you know what he said? He said, because nobody's bringing lost people to church. Hmm. He said, used to when you'd have revival, people would invite their neighbors to come. People would invite their coworkers to come. Now the problem is so many people claim they're saved, but the way they act on the job, nobody sees Christ in them, so therefore they wouldn't come to church with them, and they sure wouldn't want to tell them they know Christ because of the way they act and talk on the job. But Brother Jack said, nobody's bringing lost people to church. He said, used to, when you'd have revivals, people would have a whole row of people that they invited and brought to church. But you're not seeing people saved now because nobody's bringing lost people to church. You understand what the difference, what a difference the Lord made in this man's life that day? And it wouldn't have happened had these four men not decided somebody needs to get this man to Jesus. Somebody needs to get this man to Jesus. Somebody needs to do something. Let me give you these real quick and we're going to be done. I know it's, I know it's probably 15 minutes past when Brother Bill usually lets you out. I heard he preaches about 15 minutes. Yeah. I've tried. I've tried jokes and everything and nobody laughs and they laugh on that one. Hey, if we're going to help get people to Jesus like these guys did, we're going to have to have his compassion. Did you hear me? We're going to have to have his compassion. You know what will help you want to give, out, give a tract to somebody? You know what will help you want to go out and witness to somebody and tell people what the Lord did for you? 
Man, I like that. Write a letter. I never heard that. I never thought about that. I'm going to do that. Write a letter. Write your testimony out and send it to somebody. You know what will help you do that? When you start having his compassion. I'm talking about that good Samaritan type compassion. Hmm? I'm talking about the kind of compassion when they brought the woman to Jesus that had been caught in adultery in the very act, the Bible says. They didn't bring her to Jesus so that Jesus could forgive her. They brought her to Jesus so they could kill her. And what did Jesus do? He forgave her. I'm talking about that kind of compassion. If we're going to reach people and we're going to help people, we're going to have to have some compassion. No doubt these men had compassion. No doubt they had compassion. I mean, I'm sure they had jobs. I'm sure they had families. I'm sure they had responsibilities. I'm sure they had hobbies. I'm sure they had things they needed to do. But they took time out of their schedule to help get this man to Jesus all the way to Jesus, even if it took climbing up on the roof with him, tearing a hole. I wonder what the guy that owned the house thought. What is going on when they tore a hole in his roof and lowered this man down to Jesus? But they were determined they were going to get this man to the one who could make a difference in his life. What compassion. We've got to have compassion if we're going to reach folks for Christ. Not only that, we've got to get full of God. Do you hear me? We've got to get full of God. Brother J.R., I love God. I understand that. I understand that. That's a great quote. I love God. That's a great cliche that's said a lot. Oh, I love God. We've got to get full of God. I'm, I'm telling you, there's so many people that claim to be saved and claim they know the Lord, but they're so tied down to this, to this earth, to the things of the world. I honestly think there's some people that are so busy and so tied down to the world that when the rapture takes place, they're going to have to come two weeks later. That's not in the Bible either, but I'm just saying. They're so busy. They're so tied down to things here. We need to get full of God. To get full of God, we're going to have to empty ourselves of some things. If we're going to reach people, we're going to have to get full of God. We're going to have to get some of the junk out. Brother J.R., I'm at church on Wednesday night. I don't have junk in my life. Hey, I've been in church all my life. I was in church nine months before I was born. And I've sat in church too with sin in my life. I told our church several months ago, I told him, I said, I think what we need to do when you start coming to church, have the invitation first. As soon as we get to church, have the invitation. Have the altar call. Have everybody come to the altar, get their hearts right. Then I think we can have better services. Because I'm telling you, we, we're so good at it. I have been in church all my life. I know how to do church. Come on. Don't get quiet. You're telling on yourself. Amen right there. And then everybody, well, he's not like that. No, we know how to do church. We know when to say Amen. We know when to nod our head. We know how to respond. We know how to act. We know the right things to say to the pastor when we walk out. Great message. Great message. I've, I've, got, I've preached my socks all the way down in my boots and walked to the back and stood there thinking, here she comes. Boy, I hope she got this this morning. And she walks by and she goes, that was a great message. I know some people I wish they would have been here to hear that. I'm thinking, most of it was for you. Uh, yeah. We're going to get full of God. Get the world out. Get the world out. In Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, in our area, Little League's on Sunday now. I know they don't do that here, but in Oklahoma, Little League's on Sunday. And now the ball games are at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock on Sunday. Don't tell me that's coincidence. No. And you know what the sad thing is? There's people that claim to be saved. 
that will keep their kids out of church to go to Little League? Because Junior's going to make it in the, little, in the major leagues one day. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's not going to make And mo, you know, here's what, here's what I see most of the time. Junior don't even want to be there. Junior says, I want to come to Sunday school. Dad says, no, you're going to play ball, boy, because one day you're going to... Because Dad couldn't do it. Dad can't get out of his own way, but Junior's going to play ball. No, he's not. You know what we're telling our kids? That's more important than church. That's more important than God. And one day you're going to be calling a place like our place, needing help. And it's going to be your fault because you were full of those things out there and not full of God. I heard a story. Let me give you this. I'm almost done. I'm really not. I, I am. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in closing. <laughs> Finally, my brethren, Paul said that and wrote three more chapters, so just deal with it. I saw this. I heard about this, so I looked it up. It's on the internet. It's true. I found it on the internet. Alabama lost one of its true legends on Sunday, according to Laughlin Funeral Home. Former Crimson Tide fullback Tommy Lewis died in Huntsville Retirement Home at the age of 83. Lewis is best known for coming off the bench during the 1954 Cotton Bowl to tackle Rice running back Dickie Magel. Magel was on his way to what uh, was sure to be a 95-yard touchdown run when Lewis stepped off the Alabama sideline to make the tackle. Now, let me explain for you ladies. If you're not in the game, you don't get off the sidelines and run in and tackle somebody. You don't, you don't do that. So that's the... Dickie Magel's running down the sidelines. Tommy Lewis is sitting on the bench. He gets up off the bench and he's running down beside him. I watch... There's a video. You can watch a video on the internet. It's black and white. It's kind of sketchy looking, but you can watch it. And you see him. He gets up off the bench. And I mean, Magel is on his way. There's nobody around. He's going to score. Tommy Lewis starts running down beside him on the sideline. About the 40-yard line, he just T-bones him. I mean, just lays him out. He runs back, sits down on the bench, and leans over and hides behind one of his other players. Like nobody knew what was going on. The very next week, Ed Sullivan has both of them on his show, the Ed Sullivan Show. If you know what I'm talking about, the Ed Sullivan Show, you're old. Young people in here are going, the what? (laughs) It's a show they had on TV. It was black and white. When your TV finally warmed up and you got a picture. Ed Sullivan asked him, he said, asked Tommy Lewis, said, what were you thinking? Why did you do something? What were you thinking when you did that? This is what he said. He played for Alabama. This is what he said. I was just so full of Alabama. I just couldn't stand to see him score that touchdown. I just felt like somebody needed to do something. You know what I thought? I thought, you know, if we would get full of God, we would do what it takes to help get somebody to Jesus. But the problem is we're not full of God. We're full of all this worldliness and all these things going on. And we've got so much going on, so many things to do. I remember a story about a man who came to a church on Wednesday night, Sunday night. He was there Sunday morning, came back Sunday night, and he got saved. Living in the world, had a rough life, but he got saved on Sunday night. On Monday, he went to the barber shop, told the barber, he said, I need a Christian haircut. He, he, he needed a haircut. I mean, I'm talking hair way down here. He needed hair. So Barbara gave him a Christian haircut, gave him a good one. Wednesday night, he was back at church. Preacher didn't hardly recognize him. Preacher announced that night, Thursday night was visitation. Everybody be here by seven o'clock for visitation Thursday night. Thursday night, Joe shows up. He comes walking in. 
I mean, he's ready to go on visitation. The pastor's kind of like, okay, well, Joe, you need to go with me. I mean, that's good on new converts. They probably need to be with the pastor. So he said, you go with me, and you other, other guys, y'all go ahead and divide up. And there, I think there was four other men there. And he said, let's have prayer, and then we'll go. So the preacher prayed, and he gave out some cards, and they started to leave, and Joe goes, wait. He, the preacher said, what? He said, are we going to wait on everybody else? The pastor said, what do you mean wait on everybody else? He said, I mean the rest of the church. See, Joe had only been saved four days. He didn't know that most people that are members of churches never pass out a track, never knock on a door, never tell anybody about the Lord. He just thought everybody did. Mm -hmm. You will when you get full of God. When you get some of that junk out and get full of God, you're going to have to get full of God if we're going to reach people. Isn't that what it's all about? Again, he left us here for that reason. That's our job. That's what we're here for. It's not that we're God's gift to the ministry. It's not it at all. We're not here just so everybody can just see us. We're here to take the Word of God out there and to get people to Jesus. I mean, you got a pastor that preaches the book. And there's people out there, they, they, they're looking for answers. Get them to church. They'll get their questions answered. The Word of God will make a difference, make a change in life. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't smack this guy on the head. Mm Mm-hmm. They do on TV. Jesus didn't blow in his face. Jesus spoke words to him. And we have the words of God right here that will make a difference in the life. Got to get full of God. Got to have his compassion. And then next to lastly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Next to lastly, and I said that so that gives you a little bit of hope that we're almost done. Next to lastly, we got to realize we never know who we're helping. We never know who we're helping. When I carried a paper plate in and set it on a coffee table to a drug addict, that I said, we'll never make it, he'll never make it. He won't stick it out. I had no idea that one day he'd be pastor in this church. Had no idea. You never know who you're helping. You never know who you're... You never know. Well, I just don't think they'll read that track. Well, they won't read it if you don't give it to them. Well, I just don't know if it'll help for me to write a letter to them. Well, if you don't write a letter, you'll never know. Somebody needs to do something. You never know who you're... I mean, you think of the great preachers. I mean, you've got one coming. One of the greatest, I think, in our time today is with the Sam Davison. You've got one coming to preach for you. He'll give you his testimony. He'll tell you that someone reached out to him. Someone invited him to church. Somebody helped him get to Jesus. And look at the difference. Wouldn't you like to have been the one? Wouldn't you like to have been the one that invited him to church? Wouldn't you like to have been the one that helped him find, the, find Jesus and, and the change that was made? Wouldn't you like to be the one now that God's using him? You never know. You never know. But if you don't do anything, you'll never know. You'll never know somebody needs to do something. Lastly, y'all need to come to the ranch. They need to come to the ranch. When I say lastly, the whole place erupts in an amen. Yeah. Blessing to see you tonight. Blessing to my heart to see you tonight. Don't ever lose the amazement that he wants to use us. I think some people have lost it. I got saved March 10th, 1970 as an eight-year-old boy. 
I was so thrilled about being saved. But you know what? If we're not careful, the longer we're saved, the less excited we are about it. If we're not careful as we get older, and I'll be 60 years old in January. 60? I know I don't look 30, but 60? Thank you. An amen would have been good right there, rather than a snicker. Huh? Yeah. Don't ever lose the amazement that he'll still use us. I honestly, Brother Bill, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I was doing what God wanted me to do, that God was done with me as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church and director of the ministry, that God had all this planned out, that God had it, it was in God's timing. I knew that. But I wasn't sure what God was going to do. And I'm amazed that he would still allow me to do something for him. I, I, I despise traveling. <laughs> Used to. But I'm telling you, the last three or four months, the Lord has changed my heart. I don't have the heart to pastor. I have the heart to travel to churches and tell churches what God's doing and update churches on that He would still use me and let me be used. Don't ever lose the amazement that we have an opportunity to do something for Him. I don't know, I do know about you. Cersei, I don't know about you. I do know about you. Listen, He's done way more for me than I've done for Him. Do you hear me? He's done way more for me than I've done for him. Now, you may not be that way, but for me, God's been so good to me. I'm so amazed that he would allow me to be used. He would allow me to do something in his service. Don't lose that amazement. There's people just like this man on this bed. They need to get to Jesus because Jesus can work a miracle in their life. But for this man to get there, it took four men to say, somebody needs to do something. How about tonight? How about tonight? Let me challenge you tonight. Let me challenge you tonight. How about you grab a corner of the bed and help get somebody to Jesus? Why don't you do what you can do? Somebody needs to do something. Why don't you do what you can do? Quit talking about what you can't do and do what you can do. I heard about a couple that went out on a date, a young couple, and they got back to her house, and they were sitting on the couch in the living room. He told her, he said, if I had a thousand eyes, I'd use every one of them to gaze on your beauty. If, I'd use, if I had a thousand arms, I'd use every one of them to hold you close. If I had a thousand lips, I'd use every one of them to kiss your sweet lips. She said, why don't you quit talking about what you don't have, start using what you do have. I, I don't know if that was, a, was that a good story? Probably not, okay. It's out there anyway. Why don't we quit talking about what we can't do? Start doing what we can do. Somebody needs to do something. There's a world full of people out there that need what we have. Come on. Are you excited about what you have? So much so that you want others to have it? Family members, friends? Somebody needs to do something. How about us? I think this scripture, I, I love this passage of scripture because I think it, it's just an example of exactly what goes on at Calvary. Somebody helps get them to where Jesus can make a difference in their life. And it's not just Calvary that needs to do that. It's churches, individuals. Let's help get people to Jesus. Let's, let's grab a corner of the cot. Grab a corner of the bed. Let's help get somebody to Jesus. Thank you, Brother Bill. Appreciate it.